and welcome back to the prequel at the end of the book podcast. Uh, I'm your host, Rachel, uh, and I'm here today with Jen. Hi. And uh, Courtney is actually our special guest again. Hi, Courtney. Hi. And then uh, Emma is our producer today. Hello. And we'll be talking about episode six of The Winchesters called The Art of Dying. Uh, written by Jess Cardos and directed by Gary McLeod. So for a synopsis, uh, a little recap. Lada's morning meditation is interrupted by Carlos and John arguing loudly about their next move in the battle against the Akrita. She intervenes as John gets aggressive and both she and Carlos offer solutions to help him relax, but John brushes them both off. The argument is derailed when Mary gets a call from Tracy Geller, an old family friend on her parents' second Hunter's only phone line. Tracy is a former hunting buddy of Deanna's whose retirement made Mary believe it was possible for her to get out of the life as well. However, she discovered her ex-hunting partner Darla dead in her barn that morning and based on her last journal entry believes she may have been killed by a werewolf. She asked for Mary's help in tracking down whatever killed Darla and the core force set out to investigate. In the loft of Tracy's barn, Carlos discovers a claw belonging to whatever killed Darla which leads Lada to believe they may not be hunting a werewolf after all. John speculates that perhaps their mystery monster is another rare type lured in by the Akrita and suggests capturing it to try and get the Akrita to come to them. But the rest of the gang push back and insist that with their monster killer box still out of commission, they don't have a way to deal with the Akrita, even if John's suggestion works. Lada suggests they pay, suggest paying a visit to a specialist in monster identification. On the way there, she confides in Carlos that she worries that as a pacifist who doesn't engage in violence, she may be a liability as a hunter. When they arrive at Lada's friend Anton's shop, Carlos is immediately smitten with the handsome taxidermist. <laughs> Sorry, that was a funny sentence. And becomes incredibly flustered as Anton and Lada work to identify the creature the claw might have come from. They eventually identify the monster as a, and I apologize for the mispronunciation here, Sokoyant, a type of vampiric witch that hails from the Caribbean, and call to warn John and Mary, who have stayed behind with Tracy. Tracy then explains that on her last hunt, during which one of her companions, Mac, was killed, was hunting a nest of this monster. The monster abruptly bursts into the room and attacks them, and John chases it out only for it to immediately get the better of him. He's rescued by Mary, who drives it off after she chops off its arm. Anton and Lata conduct an examination of the severed arm while John and Mary argue about John's recklessness and the way he's using Mary as an excuse to avoid his issues. They aren't able to resolve the discussion, however, because Lata announces her discovery that the Sukuyant was already dead. It's just the corpse of a Sukuyant that's been possessed by a vengeful spirit. To the group's horror, a guilty Tracy confesses that Mac's death on her last hunt wasn't accidental. She and the rest of her crew intentionally killed him because he was going off the deep end with emotional problems from a troubled childhood and was experimenting with dark magic and too powerful them for too powerful for them to defend themselves against him if he lashed out. The gang suddenly realize that John is missing and guess correctly that he's gone to hunt the supposed Sukuyant alone, but by the time they track him down, the ghost of Mac has already left the Sukuyant and possessed John. They try to fight Mac, but can't attack him without hurting John instead. He explains that there's nothing they can do to him that he hasn't already survived at the hands of his abusive father, and he easily gets the best of the crew. 
However, Lata intervenes and empathizes with Max Payne by sharing her own experiences with her father's PTSD-driven violent outbursts and how for years she also chose violence to cope with her pain until she eventually made the choice to turn to peace instead. She asks Mac to take a chance on making the same choice. Mac agrees and leaves John's body. With her past having come back to haunt her, Tracy decides to go back to hunting to finish Darla's work, which leaves Mary wondering if it really is possible to ever get out. But Tracy assures her that the real struggle isn't quitting hunting, it's learning to live with the choices you made during your time as a hunter. Carlos congratulates Lada on finding a way to balance her pacifism and her involvement with the supernatural, and she responds by passing on a note from Anton that reveals that he must have found Carlos's floundering endearing because he asks him to dinner. Meanwhile, Mary and John debrief after their earlier argument, and John confesses that he has struggled with anger his whole life, but he thought he had resolved it within himself until his conflict with Marginetto reawakened those feelings. Later, he approaches Lada and takes her up on her offer to try learning meditation as a way to cope with his emotions, an endeavor which is interrupted by Carlos bursting in to reveal documents from the city hall contact that have given, that give them the location of where the Akritas radio tower is being built. So I think we all agree, great episode. Oh, so oh yeah. Cool. I I know uh, myself and one of the writers for this episode were both like, yeah, this is like an all-time favorite in all the episodes of Supernatural for me. Remains true. I rewatched it today and it was just as good. Yeah. If not better, because I was catching other things as well. So like I was saying just before we started recording how energy-wise and emotional wise it felt on par for episode four for me mm-hmm. maybe it's because they're like john episodes not not like a hundred percent john this time not as the focus but just like it deals a lot with his anger maybe that's why i find them so interesting but yeah i really loved it the parallels galore yeah holy crap oh the, okay here's my problem it's called the art of dying but my brain just wants to call it in my time of dying the one where John indeed dies. But like, that's like all my brain wants to do is call it in my time of dying. So if I refer to it as that, I apologize. The The conversations Mary had with Tracy about like getting out of hunting were very interesting and painful to listen to and watch. You were so pointed. Yeah. Like, no subtlety. Like, so pointed. No, no subtlety. So you know what I appreciated? Mm-hmm. Tracy, like, near the end of the conversation, we're talking about the one in the kitchen, right? Yeah. Like, near the end of it, when Mary's like, you know, do you, is there anything you regret or whatever? It kind of like, kind of like asking the question, do you regret leaving hunting? And she was just like, no, I just wish I did it sooner. Like, because I feel like, I can't point to a specific example exactly right now, but I feel like in Supernatural, the the thing was, I miss it, so I will secretly keep doing it and stuff like mm-hmm. that. But Tracy's just like, no, I wish I did it sooner. Like, no hesitation. I don't know. I never got the feeling in Supernatural Prime that she missed it. I more got the feeling that it was like a comfort. Like, it was the only thing she really know, knew how to do well. And she didn't yeah. know how to do the life with John well. Yeah. So it was like something she fell back on. Yeah. It, yeah, it's a comfort measure. And yeah. I like I like it when... Self-soothing in a weird way. <laughs> yeah. And I, I like yeah. it when these characters will indeed tell you straight to your face sometimes, at least in this case. Uh, yeah, no, fucking sucked. I don't have no, don't want to go back at all. Uh, I wish I did it yeah. sooner, really. 
I think that lined up with the conversation at the end of the episode too, where um, Tracy decides to, you know, finish the werewolf hunt for Darla and how the shift goes from like, you know, is it hard getting out of the life? Do you regret getting out of the life versus do you regret choices you made while you were a hunter? And what do you do when you do regret some of those choices, even if you don't regret getting out of the life, you know? Yeah. It's like not so much hunting itself. It's yeah. It's what did you do while you were a hunter? Exactly. And I feel like Mary's struggle possibly when in tying the two shows together is like, she never resolved her regrets as a hunter. That also I'm realizing like one of the, especially as the seasons went on in Supernatural Prime, one of the things was really, can you balance both? Can you mm-hmm. have a house, a family, all this kind of stuff and be a hunter, not in secret, but like, you know, without traumatizing your children. Um, apparently the answer is no. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Apparently not. Because even having a house and a family, Mary was still traumatized by the burden her parents put on her. So like. Yeah. Well, that's what I'm saying. So, like, without traumatizing your children. So, I remember in in episode 10 of season 15, a lot of, some of us, including myself, go, that was Dab's real ending. Because it had Garth, the supernatural Mm -hmm. creature, and his wife, who's a supernatural creature with supernatural children, who who was a dentist, you know? And I feel like the desire really was to show that, yeah, you can have both. Because it was always like, are you going to give up hunting? It's like, it's like, it was always presented as... You can only have one or the other. You can't have both without mm-hmm. doing serious damage. But that's what that also reminded me of. Cause you know, they're having this conversation in Tracy's house. I mean, it was implied basically, right? Like um, it's not just us that like they were partner partners and not like, I mean, I got that vibe. Okay, good. Tracy definitely them. gave me like crunchy granola lesbian vibes. So like, it, it was, really, it really did. You know. Like former lesbian wives who wear a lot yeah. of flannels. Like, so I'm just going to call them each other's wives because that just makes more sense to me um you know like how many how many Desiel fix it fix have we written or drawn where they have a farmhouse but are also still kind of loosely tied into the hunting world so it's like yeah whenever they were talking especially in Tracy's kitchen about you know leaving versus not leaving and then clearly this episode showing to us that even when you try to leave it kind of comes back to bite you in the ass anyway which happens in the main show but Tracy kind of like understood the lesson which was you know like you guys said don't don't regret the choice you made hunting or not hunting just pay attention to what you do while you are hunting yeah it felt like the themes like the whole time was it just depends on what you choose like you you have to make your choice and you have to be okay with that choice you can choose to leave hunting or you can choose to stay in hunting or you can choose to do both but you have to be okay with the choice you can choose to address your anger or you can choose to not or sit in the shower and cry (laughs) (laughs) i just remember in in episode four some people's criticism with John, which I mean, duh, is like he didn't choose to go to therapy. Like that's the whole point. I mean, if that's the point of it, I, I would know, that's presume, the point, right? But um, but in this one, he did choose it. He did finally choose it. You know, obviously, we know it's not going to stick. But well, the interesting thing about that is, like, he chose it, but then hunting came in the way of it because yeah. Carlos and Mary come in, and you know, they yeah. have information, but like hunting is interrupting his choice. 
he gets to do the 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 mantra stuff and then before they can really get into it yeah hunting and that's what i really yeah and i think it's so meaningful that it's Lata that he goes to even though he's had everyone in the core four reaching out to him he's had his mother reaching out to him in her own way that Lata's the one that can break through we've talked a little bit about in the server how and I think on the episode last week how Millie's best efforts are what she knows but are not being received in a way that is actually helpful to John you see that a little bit with Mary this week too which is why Maybe maybe I'm getting a little too ahead of ourselves, but essentially, whenever we get to it, that's why I like that crypt scene parallel didn't go fully crypt scene. Yeah, like I don't want I don't want Destiel parallels to the point where you're trying to convince me that they are a legitimate romantic couple. What yeah. I view them as are confirmations that the tropes that we saw with Destiel are in fact supposed to be interpreted as romantic. Yeah, but they're like an inversion. Yeah. But, like, they're inherent romantic tropes. So, naturally, if they're being applied to the main pair, whether it's manufactured or not, they're still romantic tropes. So, you know, but regardless, I liked that Mary couldn't still really break through. Mm -hmm. It took the pacifist getting to the ghost. Like, like it it, it was a Destiel parallel, kind of. It was a Crypt scene parallel, kind of. But it just isn't going all the way, which I'm happy about. Yeah, because they're so bad for each other. So bad for each other. Like, they're not bad people on their own, but, like, Mary just exacerbates John's problems. And, sorry, there it is again. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so Mary, like, exacerbates John's problems. Not on purpose. It's it's just by nature of who they are. And John kind of keeps Mary tied to the life. Again, not on purpose. He's obviously not trying to. But I just feel like the show is making it so clear that, like, these people aren't good for each other. This isn't a good thing. I died with Mary's line, the don't use, don't use me. Yeah, it was so, that whole argument between them was, like, so well done. And, like, again, not, like, the most subtle of speeches, but, like, so good, so pointed, like, just encapsulates, like, the two characters and the ways that they, like, the ways that they do bring out the worst in each other so well. Didn't it feel cathartic to have Mary be like, don't use me for this. Like, I'm oh, not your So excuse. cathartic. I'm just so like, no cathartic. So All I wanted to do was just reach into my screen, grab that scene and throw it at Supernatural Prime John, who was shouting at his kid. That thing killed your mother, killed your girlfriend. Like, I just wanted to throw that whole don't use me as an excuse scene right on his face because also the line about him wrapping her in white <gasps> i know everybody's minds went to like yeah he does have to bury her or whatever but my mind went to the widow arc it's just like oh I, I thought of both of those things actually i thought of both of them but i like i know her dress was light pink but in, in the pilot, but I didn't also discover white. that until recently. So it's white. <laughs> it's, it's so desaturated. So yeah. it's like, can I just pretend it's white? Like, mm-hmm. can I just pretend, please? I know yeah. pink is often seen as a symbol, like a color of death on this show sometimes, but let me just pretend it's white because I feel like that's also death. Pink is seen as, I did not know about that as a costume meta. Yeah, didn't tell us the lore. What, pink? 
That's interesting. The pink as a as death. There's been talk, especially with Rowena, who had who really went more from purple to pink over time. Yeah. She wore a pink dress when she died. Pink often. So with every showrunner, every showrunner on every show, if you're lucky enough to be like Supernatural, we have like five of them. Will have their own kind of like film language and symbolism that they want to use. But for the most part, Supernatural it tied over. Some colors changed meaning, but I think for the most part, pink was always symbolic of like death. So like in 1518 in the silo, you'll see one of the girls or the little girl or someone wearing pink. And I think maybe they're the first one to go, but they do die. Like they're, they're Thanos out of the silo. Um, Rowena was wearing a pink dress. And so pink is one of those colors. Interesting. That being said, the pilot dealt with a woman in white. Mary looked like she was wearing white. I'm going to pretend she was wearing white because it makes me happy. (laughs) Sorry, tangent, but. (laughs) No, it was a good one. I want to look into that now. But now it reminds me about Darla's funeral now and how it felt like they spent so much time on it and it was given so much reverence. And when you Mm -hmm. contrast that with Dean's little sad funeral, just, I don't have a point there. It's just, it. It felt like, like something. I think at one point he even specified he wanted like a banger of a party when he died. And he didn't get that. Yeah. He didn't even get like the, you know, the emotional, like more, you know, reverent sort of thing that like, I, I really liked that sequence. It made me cry. But I really, and the song choice too, the Judy Collins song. Yeah. Um, but uh, I liked the choice to like show that whole scene because I feel like that's what hunters should like, that's how it, the death of a hunter should always be like. It should always treated. feel that impactful. Like it, like it meant like, you know, like their lives meant something, you know? Yeah. Um, also you think about all the other hunter funerals we've had in supernatural prime. Yeah. For the most part, it's always just been like Dean and Sam sometimes with yeah. a guest in attendance I guess like they're plus one but like it's never been like a group more I feel like Very the only rare. one that came close was Cass's in at the very beginning of the widower arc and that's just only in terms of like emotional resonance rather than like the ritual well then Charlie's the dean was just angry you know yeah but th- with the funeral um, in this episode you actually get a sense of the hunting community and the care that is there of it like I know we mentioned Mm -hmm. earlier like how it's still damaging to your children but there is this community and this love and this tradition that you just that Sam and Dean feel so cut off of that you see a little bit in Mm -hmm. SPM Prime with Asa Fox when all these people to come together and it again emphasizes how cut off the brothers are yeah even Mary's yeah. attached to that. Like, John is the reason Sam and Dean are cut off. Like, he's brought into this hunter world. He's there for this funeral for Darla. And it's still something that he never passes on to his children. He knows how meaningful it is. And he cuts his children off from it. Yeah. And then Mary comes back and immediately goes to a hunter's funeral. Uh, and yeah. also, it's like, going back with John, you know, I remembered when Sam said, have you ever noticed that Dad seems to have had a falling out with everyone? Like the Hunter Network is connected in the show, but we never get a a good glimpse into that unless we hear like 
hey, I haven't seen you since you were like 11, you know, meetups, but it's like, you know, and I, this show was really making me kind of realize how isolated mm-hmm. those two were from everyone else. You know, yeah. Ellen, they didn't even know about the Roadhouse, which is a huge, like, hub, basically. Did not know about that place at all. Yeah. So it's like, it just makes me sad. Thanks, John. <laughs> Sorry. Also, in terms of, like, John and, like, his issues this episode, <laughs> the comment, I guess this takes us sort of back to, like, the element of, like, the choices that people make and stuff like that. But, you know, Mary saying that she like during that fight that they have, like she taught, she says that, you know, she talked to Millie about how he's always been reckless and like runs towards danger. And like, that's when he, that's when he, you know, turns the, turns it back on her with using her as an excuse. But then at the end of the, and then, so like Carlos also over the course of the episode, he even remarks when they hear the story about Mac also, you know, like he says, you know, well, that I feel like I just saw the ghost of Christmas future or something like that. Oh, yeah. Cause oh. Like, because like he already he is already seeing that similarity between John and Mac also. And I think it makes it even more, I don't know, like, I guess just even more painful to see at the end, John making the choice to to try and break that anger, you know, break that feedback loop um, by meditating with Lada and then hunting interrupts it again, you know? Yeah. And it's like, like he, made, he finally a, made the choice. Like it's a lifelong thing that he's had a problem with. He's aware of it. Carl, it's exhibited enough in this episode for Carlos even to comment on it. And when he does actually like say, you know what? No, I'm going to go towards somebody for help with this because I don't want that to be me and then obviously we know that that just doesn't happen and it's just so oh god it's like the most it's such a delicious and also like awful dramatic irony for us as an audience you know it's like no matter what he chooses well obviously no choice is an illusion basically yeah as of right now So it's like, even if he chooses, you know, one of the, again, some of the criticism with John, which was obviously understandable criticism because we knew he wasn't going to do this anyway, was not going to therapy in, in episode four and Mm -hmm. choosing the help of his friends. And this time he did choose the help of his friends and he still did not get very far. You know, he's punished no matter what he does. Yeah, I wonder what it's like to watch this show as somebody who hasn't seen Supernatural. And I wonder if there is anybody who is even doing that. But like, if they are, how does all of this read? Because we have like built in knowledge that it, it colors all of it. It, you know, it changes the way we see it. So I wonder how it reads if you, if you just don't know this about John. I was having this thought because I feel like so many SBM podcasts play on the very fun idea of like a diehard fan host with a person who's going in cold host. But yeah, I feel like even with, with Supernatural Prime being around for as long as it was, anyone who's talking about it does have some base level of knowledge. But does that exist for the Winchesters? I, If you are someone who watches the Winchesters without having seen any of the original series, what is happening in your brain? Please let us let know. Us, yeah. If, if you're listening to us, let us know because we are very curious. To, that was always see. one of my 
my things with the pilot, I was saying how much of a hard time it was going to have because it has to attract old fans and attract new fans. But then, like, as we've been going on, I'm just kind of like... Like, this feels like it's mostly for the old fans yeah. in a lot of ways. And the numbers have been good, so I have to imagine there's at least one yeah. person out there. But it's it's like, yeah. if, if, if you don't have the knowledge of Supernatural Prime and you're watching this, like, it's a, it's a show, yeah, but you're missing out on so many parallels and, like, harbingers of, of dread and doom. And, like, it's like, I'm not saying that if you watch this without watching the main show, you don't understand. But I feel like there's, they're building, they're building it enough where it's like, if you have not watched the original show, you really are missing out on like 30% of what's being done. Or you're going to start watching Supernatural and have all of this excitement about finding parallels, but from the other side, I don't know. Yeah. yeah, I don't know. Like, I wonder, because I feel like watching it without the context of Supernatural would probably, like, it would probably still be a, a good and enjoyable show. Oh, yeah. But it's probably just feels so much more straightforward like a than typical we see CW it show. as a, like, they probably see it as more of a typical CW show, whereas we're like I'm levitating off of the floor every episode <laughs> yeah exactly exactly like you imagine like Dean's like I'm gonna tell you this story about how my parents fell in love and then it's like John and Mary and all this cute flirting and then it does seem like John's like making strides forward and you're like oh this is so wholesome this is so cute but little do you know what's gonna happen I bet they're really good parents <laughs> right <laughs> but like that's another thing right so like are new fans who haven't seen the original show aware of that is a tragedy that and also that john and mary's love really is manufactured in some capacity of another you know and so it's weird because i wonder if fans who've never seen it are looking at the show and going oh my god they have little crushes on each other meanwhile we're like that seems awfully flirty but also very suspicious also she's it feels like this should be a romantic trope and by all accounts, it, sh- it is, but also Mary couldn't break through to John in a parallel scene to Supernatural, you know, all that kind of yeah. stuff. So it's like, it feels like we're spoilered for the for the show, while some people who are watching it aren't. And yeah. RIP if you're listening to our podcast, because obviously ruined it for you. <laughs> we ruined it for you plenty of times, and I apologize. But no, that reminds me, the comment about Mary's parents having been separated before. And it makes me think of the whole angels breeding program. Like, Oh my God. Listen, I think Sam and Deanna were set up. I think Samuel and Deanna were set up by angels. I'm calling it now. Oh yeah, for sure. Like, what what, what do we call it? Angel eugenics program or something? Yeah. That's, yeah. That's That's basically what it is. But also what that reminded me of was... In Dark Side of the Moon, when we're first made aware that Mary had kicked John out of the house for a few days. Yeah, their marriage wasn't perfect until she was dead. My thought with that was in Dark yeah. Side of the Moon, you see Dean, like, when he's barely four, being this person, this child, this little baby, trying to keep his parents together or be the person there for his mom. And what it made me wonder is if Maggie was the person in the Campbell house who got saddled with that. Oh. Yeah, because Mary didn't even know. Yeah. At least her parents did one thing right by her, I guess. Oh, jeez. 
I really hope we get some more backstory on Maggie at some point. I don't I don't think I need it this season, but I want to learn more about Maggie. In a way yeah. that I will make not really must be supernatural because this feels like a disservice to what I'm about to reference, but I went to see The Fablemans yesterday, which is a movie about the moment when you see your, how you see your parents as your parents, and then you see your parents as people. That's a total simplification of a really good movie. But just thinking about that, I'm like, this is that moment, like that happens yeah. for Dean and Supernatural. That is happening for Mary right now. That yeah. your parents are indeed just people, just some guys. They're just, just some guys. Some guys. With just as many issues as you. <laughs> Knowing that my mom already had two-year-old me at the age that I am now, and I am how I am right now at this age, I'm just I like, think about this all the time. <laughs> oh, I still feel like I'm like 22 years old sometimes because I'm just kind of like, all like, other than my close friends, I know a lot of people who have like families and kids and everything. And I'm just like, oh my God. I remember what it's like being six years old and looking at my mom and going, that's my mom. That's a superhero and like not a person. But I know these children's parents now because they were my friends in like high school. And I'm just like, nah, your your parents like ate glue like in high school. <laughs> like, like your parents are just people. And so, yeah, I, yeah. I like that concept a lot. It's like seeing your teacher outside of the classroom at like this. My parents were friends with my teachers. They were always at my house. And I was like, you don't, you shouldn't be here. (laughs) My my US history teacher lived across the street. Oh, so bad. I'm just like, I don't want to live next to a teacher. God damn it. Especially the class I'm not doing good in. So there were, I don't know who said this. If it was a friend. I think it was a friend who said this in a server at some point, but basically that it was that the resentment that John may have had for Dean wasn't that he reminded John of Mary, but like reminded John of Carlos mm-hmm. and like in reality. Yeah. Like the parallels continued this episode with Carlos and Dean. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's like mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. on the nose. Like even so... down. <laughs> it's like, it's like. Disaster by. That's it. Literally disaster, disaster by. Like he's so, he, he's like attracted to guys, but doesn't know how to talk to them. I'm like, that sounds familiar. Or Yeah. There's this vid of Dean from like around October 2020, I think, that says to boys by Charlie XCX. And I was like, yes. yes. Literally just, I cannot wait for the Carlos edition. Or the Carlos one. I know. Yeah. And it's um, like, the, but that, but it's also like the car thing, like, like the van. Oh yeah. Car. Being so protective of his van. Like yeah. what, what it reminded me of, I don't remember what episode it was, but basically Dean was saying to Sam, like, and if you like screwed up my car, I'll kill you or something like that. It's like, that's all I could think of. And I'm just like, Mary's like Dean in, in like emotional ways, but Carlos is like Dean in personality ways. And yeah. I'm just like. Also the, the names, the nicknames and stuff for people too, like, which Mary hybrid, does as well, but like. And the hybrid of monster like names like what was it yeah. brain vampire like to brain pyre yeah brain pyre even yeah. even looking at a field and going you can grow so much weed there which by the way i screamed because yeah yeah um, <laughs> it's like i could i could see that too like i could see that definitely coming out of dean's mouth so it's like yeah i don't know it's so weird i'm like what are you doing with him 
Even are they going to meet at some point? They need to meet. At I some want point. them to meet so badly. Also, just like Jensen Ackles, come here. I want to <laughs> ask you so many questions about the conceptualization of this character. Yeah, whose <laughs> idea was it? Who gave him the personality? It's li- literally, literally. <laughs> like I sometimes wonder because Dean says so little in these episodes. He usually only has the one bit of dialogue at the beginning of the episode. And yet Robbie made that comment about like, oh, I can just call Jensen up if I need a Dean line. But like, do you mean a Dean line or like a Dean like line? Because I feel like there are so many things that Carlos says that could easily have come out of Dean's mouth. So so I like that theory that like, again, I, I don't know if our John supernatural prime remembered carlos or not and i'm not speaking from the perception of um perspective of a jarlos shipper because i'm like that's not even really relevant it's more or less the fact of like carlos and dean are so similar like Mm -hmm. it's not even just meta emotional character development stuff that you get paralleled with mary a lot of the time or mirrored with mary it's just like rock, paper, scissors and brain pyres and car protectiveness and sassiness and not being able to talk to guys with confidence, even though he's attracted to them. It's just like, there's so much. <laughs> yeah. I know I've been spirit see truthed about this in the server, but I'm going to put it out there now. Um, it is officially my theory that Carlos is Dean's real father. I would <laughs> say that. I can't stand him. But I just that think I'm funny. not, but I am, but I'm not. Both say that would suddenly mean Dean is not a little white boy. Uh, that might cause some issues. Do you not remember when he spoke Spanish? We are recording on the two-year anniversary. Do you not remember when he spoke Spanish with with the porn star? He's a fluent Spanish speaker. True. I feel like Sam knows it better. No, shh, Jet, don't ruin this for me. <laughs> the plot twist is that Carlos is actually Sam's father. That's why Sam always has nice hair. Yeah, that's a good point. Okay, you know what? I need to talk to you. Sorry. I just, I don't worry, I just broke you. I just broke your hair. Sam has good hair because he's, it's like, it's like half of me is like, did you just drop baby Dean off at like, at like Carlos's house to babysit? And we just yeah. didn't know. Like, you know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of um, Ben being just like Dean. And Dean going, is that my child? Like, so it's like, if Carlos ever met Dean, like, if he's never met him before, like, okay, I'm going to be really sad for a second. So everyone, if you don't want to be sad, just like, wait a few minutes, like, skip ahead. It's been theorized that Carlos will bite the big one uh, by the end of the season. No, I refuse to accept this. No. No, he's going to be forever. No. Well, also, Daniil said that he wasn't going anywhere on her watch, so I just don't think it's going to happen. Well, but He can die, but just not go anywhere. But anyway, <laughs> what I'm saying is my brain, in order to make myself feel better about that when I first read it, I was like, what if he goes to heaven and with how heaven is, Dean winds up meeting him up there and that's where the season ends. And that's what then led into the them kind of mirroring each other's movements and like saying the same thing okay yeah i i you know the thing is though i feel like they could have dean meet carlos and also like lapa in heaven without having them die on earth 
in the well, time. Yeah, because you know that you can yeah. like pick your age or shit in heaven. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah. like he could still meet Carlos in heaven. Well, yeah, like regardless, I, I imagine <laughs> I imagine that Lada and Carlos did not make it all the way. If they did, then they don't probably remember everything. But yeah. I. <laughs> It is my my goal. It's like, where did Dean drive off to for forty years while he's waiting for Sam to die? Oh, yeah. he was go visiting his his parents' friends from his his aunt and uncle, his aunt and uncle, or yeah. as some people like Courtney are theorizing, or, uh, yeah, his, his father, aunt and his, his father, <laughs> his real father. Is this a good time to bring up the John is Ben's father? I was like, did theory. say it? <laughs> <laughs> my favorite theory. Wait. That's a yeah. real theory that people have. No, this was this was one that I saw when I was originally in fandom too. Was the the theory that instead of Dean being Ben's dad, it was actually John, and it was like a little bit of a crack theory, a little bit of a serious theory. Lisa has a type, but Lisa has better taste. She has a type. I'm I'm just saying that if Ben was conceived around the time that she had that weekend with Dean, is because Dean was in the area, and at that time he was hunting with John, so John was also in the area, and I just think it's the funniest thing possible, so I have it incorporated it. It is fact. It is canon in my heart. <laughs> I'm sorry. Hang on one second. First of all, <laughs> the age girl, like Lisa, for the love of God. Uh, second of all, They're good-looking men. She doesn't really know them. You can't really blame her. Yeah, you can blame her for letting Dean live in her house in season six, but you can't blame her for you know having. What? Some- he took Ben to his soccer games. He cooked. He barbecued. <laughs> if I'm like 19, 20 years old, and a forty-five-year-old, I'm just guessing ages with John here at this point because I can't do math, <laughs> comes up to me and wants to phone me, and then I get knocked up. That man's paying child support like asap because. Mm. But anyway, second of all, <laughs> I feel like because Dean is so much like Carlos and Ben was so much like Dean, wouldn't that make Ben be Carlos's son? Me and grandson? No, no. You're talking about like Ben being John's son. So why can't Carlos be Ben's father? Oh. You know what I'm saying? Because... Dean is more like Carlos. Anything's possible. <laughs> Anything's possible. It's just this whole like, like gigantic alternate web. family tree that we've created. Cursed family tree. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it already like we don't even need this to make it cursed. This just makes it better. <laughs> I can't get this. John is Ben's dad thing out of my brain it lives within me i will bring it up whenever i can but does that mean ben is adam's <laughs> adam dean and sam's half brother so does that mean ben is also a michael vessel yes Aww, poor kid that's okay michael's obsessed with adam now it's fine Ooh. you imagine um, the wire fight with ben versus mark that's how ben comes back honestly i would have screamed i would have been cheering if that had happened <laughs> Yeah, so sorry. I was gonna um the moment when Tracy like admits that they betrayed Mac and had him killed basically and like Carlos is really vehement about you know, no, you guys were essentially the monsters in the situation. Like why did you do that? Why didn't you why didn't you help him? And I wonder if we're gonna get some sort of backstory where he did just that. Point. Where either he did it, did that, or like he was involved in something where 
somebody was betrayed or loyalty was broken in that yeah. way. It might also yeah. just connect back to the idea of him being in the military and not really liking that because he was upset. They're like he his line was something about like you used him and wielded him as a weapon, which is a crazy yeah. line given what happened in Supernatural. But putting that aside, isn't like that's yeah, kind of literally. what happened with Carlos, I guess, in the military yeah. maybe. I don't know. That and I'm also, yeah. you know, we've mm-hmm. only ever heard one thing other than the Navy. We've only ever heard one thing about his past, and that's like his whole he lost his whole family. And it's like, what if he was possessed? Like, yeah, it's like, did he just mm-hmm. say ghouls and was it something else, or like what's going on? So, but yeah, that line, yeah. I like, I don't know, it just really came back to Dean and Cass. You're not just a like a tool for your father yeah. and I was just like oh my god oh we also didn't talk about Carlos's the Carlos and Anton we talked about him being oh. a disaster by but we didn't talk about we didn't talk about yeah, it working it, well, <laughs> well, which, you know, it worked but it was so cute and I'm just it, but I'm scared because now they have I want to see that date though I want to see that. But now, other than John, they have given everyone someone else to look at. They gave Mary Kyle. They gave Lada Tony. And now Carlos has Anton. But John doesn't have anyone else. Well, technically, kind of has Betty. Just in the past. Betty? I'm on the Betty is Cupid or an angel train right now. Yeah, same. And she's (laughs) an ex. She's not someone new. She's an ex. Like, I don't think that's a viable relationship anymore, especially because, like, even if she is just Betty, she is the one who broke it off, yeah. you know? Yeah, I feel like trying to get back together after you just rejected someone's proposal for marriage is kind of ick. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, some people do it, but not this bitch. But, <laughs> like, like, but, 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 yeah. but even then, see, right? So, like, the other three, they get new people, even though I don't know yeah. Mary and future. Kyle is a thing anymore anyway. But... They get new people. John, other for another love interest, he's given Betty, and we're told that it's not going to happen. And it was a fallen relationship already. And so it's like, poor John. <laughs> like John's true love is hunting, which is sad. John, it's bad. John, but also like, like Lada talking about her father, and that was a lot of us thinking about John and the Vietnam War, getting PTSD and taking it out on his kids, PTSD from seeing Mary burn alive and taking it out on his kids. So I guess also in a sense, Lotta is Dean too. No, Sam. I think think we've been paralleling her with Sam. I think, no, she really felt like Dean this episode to me. Like she has the line, I tried to make myself smaller so the violence wouldn't find me, but it did. And that feels so much like Dean to disagree with his yeah. father and do whatever it is and it didn't matter like it still finds you and that made him angry this was like her episode yeah for me this was her episode i like that she's a ask questions yeah. first perhaps never ever shoot ever kind of person yeah i would say definitely never ever shoot yeah, ever. never ever shoot ever yeah um it's so welcome after last week's episode with Ada's son, who's with Tony. I was like, his brain, yeah. his name just left my brain. But where, you know, for the whole gang, they're like, oh, wait, we kind of know this monster. 
monster in quotes, so we're not going to hurt him. And for Lada, she's like, we should be having those thoughts. We should be considering those things all of the time, regardless of whether or not it's someone we know and already care about. Yeah. I love that yeah. about her. Just like, it has, there's heart. There is someone on the team. Not saying that none of them other, none of the rest of them have a heart or are empathetic, but like, since Lada's a pacifist and with what she's gone through, you know, none of the, yeah. I don't, we don't obviously know everyone's backstory on the core four, but we know at least for John and Mary, their parents didn't go through any of like, they weren't involved in the Indo-Pakistani war, whatever war I think Lada was the Sino Indian war. I don't know which one it was, but it's um... Amy. One of our writers, Amy seems pretty certain that it was, she's a history person. Seemed pretty certain that it was the Indo-Pakistani. War, yeah. So. so, you know, yeah. It's, it's just like, it's an experience unique to Lada, but also it's something that it um, connects as well to what we saw in Supernatural Prime with the brothers. And it's just, oh God, it's just so sad. Why does this, both shows, relationships with parents. <laughs> Honestly, did you guys see, there was some post, I think it was on Tumblr, it might've been on Twitter. It was a while ago, but it was about how like, all of the millennials now are the ones making movies and television show. And it's so clear that we're all dealing yeah. with intergenerational <laughs> trauma. Like you could just tell you can, if I've talked about this before, but you can see that with horror, especially if you're looking at like all genres, they reflect like what the big fear of the generation that's making it is. And so you can see this like in the very early two thousands with the rise of like torture porn in the States and then as you get further on, we had a brief wave of like eco horror. And now it's become this much more personal, small scope thing as you get more attention towards like independent horror, indie distributors, and all of these creators telling things that are important to them on a deeply personal level with intergenerational trauma. <laughs> so essentially, we're just making entertainment our therapy. Yeah, basically. I'm fine by me. <laughs> See, yeah. I, I know that not from our perspective, but I was taught that with disaster films and geopolitical events, basically, like how, depending, if you don't know the, the year a movie was made, like an especially an action movie or a disaster movie, all you have to do is look at who the villain is. Like if they're Russian, then it's likely from like the 70s or the 80s. Mm -hmm. If they're like from the Middle East, like Arabic or, or whatever, then it's post 2001 like like those are the meanie guys and it's just like the u.s government paying hollywood to be their therapist as well and it's like okay <laughs> chill out <laughs> chill out <laughs> to be there the to the, for them to control that narrative yeah for real yeah so yeah anyway i forgot what we were talking about we were talking about lata so the other thing about Lada that I know we talked about a little bit in the server, but it, it's really nice to have somebody who isn't doing any of the physical fighting, but who is still such an asset to the team and to have that be recognized by somebody. Yeah. And I feel like yeah. with Sam in the show, they couldn't decide if he wanted to be the chill out one who is like trying to be the soft boy and talk to people about their feelings or kill people. Like, he did both. And well, he's a lot more effective at one of them. Yeah. And 
And I know that was like a big thing with him during his dark arc and everything, but it still remained a part of him, like throughout his entire thing. With Lada, she's like, no, no, I'm a, I'm a fucking pacifist. That's fine. I just, I'm just concerned. I'm not going to be of any use to you guys. But she's not compromising that. She's still yeah. not going to do. And if anything, it helped save their lives this this week. So I just, I, I like it too that she's, she's a just ask questions, reading books. The family business kind of yeah she's not any less useful because she's not fighting yes yeah and like to go from her insecurity about that and to you know the assurance both through you know being the one to help mac and in the in the process save john and then also getting that verbal assurance from carlos at the end that like she is valuable they would never have been able to deal with this case and 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 wrap it up the way they did without her um carlos even says like if it had been me john or mary in that position we all would have taken the shot and that wouldn't have and and, like they like carlos carlos said that knowing also that it would have been the wrong choice yeah also this is actually reminding me what i was thinking of like the whole time watching the episode is that this is like the antithesis to like one of my controversially apparently most beloved episodes of the original series, which is Yellow Fever. Oh, oh yeah, I don't think it's. I, I feel like the tide has turned on that episode where it used to be like, yeah, that's the one where Dean sings Eye of the Tiger, great episode. And then the more people actually watch the episode, <laughs> watch it, they're like, what the what the fuck happened in this episode? Because, but yeah, so the resolution of that is that this traumatized ghost, it's more traumatized, who. Get, like the way to deal with it is to re-traumatize the yeah. ghost. And that has always just been so like devastating and dark and like awful for me to watch on top of other issues that I have with that episode. And so for the solution for this episode with this ghost possession to be to talk the ghost through his trauma and to show him compassion, like meant everything, everything to me. Like, it was just so good. And that Lata is the person to offer that was just so good as well. And then also that Lata was the one to get through and, like, free John from that in the first place instead of Mary to come back to your thing about the crypt scene earlier, Jen. So, okay. Yeah. I made a joke. (laughs) I, I, like, I made a, this was a joke post. The morning of the episode, I was in the Discord. Everyone else was asleep. And I went on with a spoiler thread and I said, John is clearly possessed by something. I wonder if we'll get a crypt scene parallel. Ha ha. What if it, what if it's like Carlos or Mary or something? Then I was like, watch it just be Latica as she's like the dark horse. And it was her. But it wasn't even her. Because no one even yeah. really got through to John. She got through to the ghost. But ghost. I still see my Which is which is also another thing that I was thinking about while watching the episode is that John, even in this episode, couldn't resist the possession. No. The way that he could barely resist the possession of Azazel. Yeah. In like a finale of season one of SPN Prime. So, you know, whereas Mary, you know, was able to resist the ghost when she got possessed. So, you know, anyway. And it's just like in that, that he's in just so far in that he just can't, no one can reach him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's like insane to me. And I love it so much, but it just makes me really upset because it's like, again, like we said, he starts to work on his shit and then he's interrupted by a hunting breakthrough. 
And it's like, yeah, even if, even if I feel like that's even just a message for us as we continue to go forward from the writers or just Robbie or whoever in general, that no matter what progress you think he makes, remember where he's going to wind up. And it's like, I haven't forgotten that, but thanks for the, I still am thinking about, the degradation of John Winchester. What a banger of a line from, from Drake, Drake. I need to know, did you, know? you come up with that on your own? Did someone give it to you? I feel like he Drake thought of that phrase and was like whipping out his phone, whipping out a notebook, being like, I got to write this shit down. <laughs> I know. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm going to use this now. Like, he does have a Tumblr. Yep. He really understands the assignment, though. He, like, he's doing such a good job. Oh, for real. His, his performance was so good. So was Nita's. That his performance was also really well, really. I also just want to say, well done. I mean, I've been watching it through the the ADHD John lens still and everything, like whatever. But naturally, we don't expect anything less from you, Jen. Yeah, I was wondering how it was going to come up. Well, yeah. No, I'm not. I'm not bringing it up this time because I hadn't I hadn't had a chance to re rewatch the episode. But another thing that I'm doing now is is taking a tits out Tuesday count like oh nice yeah yeah mm-hmm. my personal favorite holiday yeah. <laughs> right? like they're not it's just so funny coming from supernatural like i don't know if it's because it's just hot in louisiana though it's not now but um i, I don't know what it is but you know in supernatural prime you have the boys wearing literally like a jacket a flannel and a shirt like all the time yeah literally like victorian levels of cover yeah and now they're constantly putting john in these napkin thin henley shirts you can see everything even when it's dry and they just keep ripping it open and it's like mm-hmm. they're just taking it off Well, another thing that made me you know? look, like i will talk from a shipping standpoint here was carlos doing his little healing thing on john john john's arm but it's like the first thing I thought of when I saw that I was like, it's got his titties out. Like, like that's, uh, <laughs> that's just my yeah. new favorite thing. I won't go into it cause it's kind of like a spoiler, I guess, but we did see a costume post, um, on Instagram that's going to the set. <laughs> John's wearing it. We'll link to it in the episode description. So if you want to be spoiled about a costume in a future episode, you can be like, Drake could pull it off. Yeah. So like, obviously like yeah. my natural, I think the default thought is that it'll be some extra wearing that. But um, suffice it to say that if, if John were to wear it with nothing else on underneath it, it definitely would count as tits out Tuesday and Loki mm-hmm. hoping that he shows up in yeah. it. You know, who knows? Just saying. <laughs> um, if he doesn't, I might just draw him in it anyway. Because I need to continue the theme here. Yeah, I think you can. Well, so when the when the episodes get sad and upsetting, that's what I have to look for now. Is tits out Tuesday? Because that's the only thing that'll make me happy. <laughs> can we go back to Max Ghost? Yes, as a ghost possessing John, real quick. Because there's a point where he asks Tracy, he's like, "Why didn't you help me? Why did you just abandon me?" And I don't really have anything like specific to say about it, but it just felt like, I don't know, like it it really meant something because he's like, I felt so alone. And we've seen all of like the main, you know, Team Free Will from Supernatural go down dark paths and do bad things and they've never fully been abandoned. So it was, 
I don't know. It was like a, a weird way that Team Free Will for like the only time ever almost kind of did the right thing by not abandoning each other and actually caring yeah. about each other and being there. Yeah. But I don't know, like just him pleading and asking like, why would you, why would you just abandon me? I needed you. It, it hurt me. Yeah, I think it's funny too, where like earlier I was talking about how moved I was by the funeral and by the sense of community, but they weren't there for Mac earlier. They were only there for Mac and for the other hunters. Yeah. Without helping. And like, I, I loved the way that that conversation went between Mac and Tracy also, because like, she says we were scared and and Mac says I was too like Mac was scared of himself yeah. and and the path he was going down and then why the why didn't you help is answered by you know we didn't know how which is true of a lot of people of that generation but also true of probably a lot of people just trying to help a friend who is going down perhaps a, a dark road and and like even though maybe it's not you know, there are some situations where I do unfortunately think like separating yourself from a person is probably the healthiest way to go. But also if you care about this person and if you do want to help them, like not admitting that you didn't know that you don't know how to help them is probably the first step to like figuring out how to actually yeah, help them figure something out. And I thought that that was just a really nice moment. Yeah. It, was, it just felt very authentic. Them. Yeah. And Tracy talks about, you know, it was escalating with him going out to magic. We've seen that in SPN Prime before, too, with Sam. And it's just mm-hmm. this this fear and this un- lack of understanding that you can't get if you don't talk to each other. Yeah. Yeah, it felt very season four, Sam, season six, Cass, Mark of Cain, Dean. Exactly. This was a truly incredible episode for a freshman show. For any show, but for yeah, a freshman seriously. show especially. Such a banger. Yeah. I hope she back to everything. Yeah, I'm like hoping they bring bring her back to write more episodes. Like obviously you don't have a writer's room yet. They're probably like test driving writers, but like I hope Jess comes back because top of the yeah. list for me so far. Just yeah. Yeah. We need to find our bedland. Also, just because I feel like this is a good place to fit this in, this whole discussion about Lata um still being like a valuable member of the team even though she doesn't physically you know engage in violence because she's a pacifist she doesn't do the hunting um it's an interesting thing to bring up in the context of disability as well in in the portrayal of disabled hunters because you know you you have eileen even from you know original spn and she was still like an incredibly skilled, incredibly valuable hunter in different ways because, you know, she had to rely on other things to be able to do her job. Um, but there were a lot of ways in which the original Supernatural did not portray disability in any sort of good way whatsoever. Like Bobby, um, that, that will forever yeah, always like Bobby. piss me off. I love that show, but oh yeah. my God. Yeah. Bobby, you can have Bobby's frustration with being in a wheelchair as he has to learn how to do these things. And even though his his role was already one that was like very home based, him having to relearn how to do all these things is a story. And then to just snap it away is so frustrating. And with Eileen and 
what happens to her in season 12, the fact that it is a hellhound that oh, yeah. initially kills Eileen oh, yeah. or something, mm-hmm, something mm-hmm. that grates on me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and I also with her. Bobby, they made him, trigger warning, suicidal because he no longer could walk. You know, it was like, it reminded me of all those annoying fucking movies that always come out where I'm thinking of a specific one with Emilio Clark in it where someone has a disability and they just oh yeah. like a burden and they just want to die and it's like not being able to walk is not a death sentence there's a lot of people who can't do that and there's a good chance that out of the four of us here as we get to a certain age we won't be able to it'll probably be me because I got really bad knees but it's like it's like it's not that was you know always what was one thing that I didn't like about the main show was how they portrayed disabilities. Eileen was like a breath of fresh air and then they had to kill her. They a monster that you had to hear in order to figure out where it was. And that was like that felt like a hate crime. Like let's be real. Like that actually like felt like oh, a straight yeah. up hate crime. It was really bad. Oh. Um I'm gonna be honest, as like our resident deaf studies girl, I'm a coded, my parents are deaf. Um mm-hmm. Honestly, even the way that they portray Eileen sometimes is shit. Like, they had somebody who was deaf, and they're like, yeah, she's badass, and that's cool, but they, like, they had her, like, on a phone call one time. Like, that's not how that works. No, like, (laughs) the the characters trying to talk to her on the phone is like, that's not, and she just understands them perfectly, and it, like, it's not a problem. It also made me sad that there wasn't additional effort put in to have the other characters learn some kind of sign language for her other than Sam knowing a couple things. Um, he can sign Margarita. Good for him. Sorry. I just get really bitter about Eileen. No, don't apologize for it. Seriously. No, it's okay. Well, it's also like, I feel like it's like, it's like you could have shown her struggles being deaf and, and without killing her, you know, like yeah. the struggle, the one struggle that we really get with her shouldn't be death. Um, when she can't hear something. So, yeah, it's like, and I understand how, you know, when you have a show like that into its 11th season, it's hard to put more focus on side characters like that. I get that. I understand that. But to going back to what Rachel said, to me, it's like pacifism is is the quote unquote disability. I don't want to sound offensive, but like, she 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 refuses i mean it's it's a choice but she refuses to act the way that we're used to hunters acting like that we have been told they act for decades mm-hmm. now um and you know she's concerned that she's just not as useful to the group and you know i like if you take away the offensiveness of what Bobby was going through uh, in the original show, one of his core issues is how am I still going to be effective at what I do Um, and stuff like that. And then I guess Lada showing that her pacifism can save the day. I'll chalk up to Eileen, you know, shaky representation aside, um, you know, not letting her pacifism kind of stop her from saving the day. I was just going to say, like, certainly no need for an apology because we all love this show. We all love SPM Prime. But if we were just a solely, okay, we're only going to talk about the good things podcast. It's not an accurate 
yeah depiction of like our feelings towards the show and that's not an interesting conversation yeah. and if yeah. we're just yeah. leaving that part out leaving out things that frustrate us so that we want to see changed or improved upon it's it's missing a piece of of what this show is yeah yeah and the point of bringing this up is that this is one of the places where we like obviously the universe can be improved upon and i i don't know if any I really doubt that anybody from the show listens to this podcast, but (laughs) in the event, because we have had a couple interactions from people, but in the event that somebody does, um, this is our, I guess, call. And also to fandom as well to like include disability in your idea of representation, because it's still probably the area that is the most lacking in terms of supernatural fandom, which is kind of strange as well, because they're all hunters and they get concussed every other day. And uh, and so like logically, a lot of these hunters should be disabled in some way and they still should be able to do their jobs and, and be valuable, you know? And, and I, where are my hunters that are like double amputees on the legs or something because a werewolf got to them? Like, like where, where, where are the, the, the consequences of being a hunter? Like, where are those people? Like, like Eileen's disability came because of a monster, right? Honestly, even just like, can't you just imagine just like every hunter is just in chronic pain all of the time? Literally. And they don't have health care. I mean, we don't really have health care either. <laughs> Probably none of them have insurance. Like, I know it's a TV show, but if we think about it in that, what's that term, Watsonian kind of way, it's like, man, your hospital bills, does everyone just run, run credit card scams? Like, Well, the thing about that, that one actually works for me because if you're not giving them real information and you're not hanging around, you don't have to pay a hospital bill. You can just leave. That's not really yeah, true. Though it, it still alarms me because, again, like I just think of Dean in season one with getting that fucking slash across his face, and like an episode later, he's fine. You know, they get. I know logistically they couldn't leave it, but I wish same, he still had you know, it. And then, like, you know, he gets sla- like body slammed by a semi tractor trailer, and, you know, he's fine. It's It's just. Sam still had an injury the following week, but I don't think Dean did. Um, Dean had like a little baby scratch on his forehead. And that's about it. <laughs> yeah, literally. <laughs> but, but like, but like, and, and even you don't even need to have a hunter that get, got their disability from being a hunter. You can just have someone who was born deaf yeah. or blind and be it was a hunter, you know, like decided that's what they wanted to do, you know. So it doesn't even have to be, oh, I'm disabled because I was in hunting. Because I imagine as you get older as a hunter, that becomes more and more prevalent. That's why I kind of like the term pre-disabled for people who, instead of able-bodied, it's sort of like, you know, you're just pre-disabled because there's a good chance by, that by the time you're in your 50s, you're going to get ha- have some stuff have going something on. Or other. Um, yeah. So in my opinion, it doesn't even have to be a hunter who was made disabled through a hunting accident or consequences of a monster or something. It could just be someone who's disabled and who decided to be a hunter. It would be cool to have a character like that. I think it's more just like they've raised the idea that you don't have to be fully able bodied to be useful in this yeah. situation. Like you don't have to be exactly the stereotypical yeah. depiction of a hunter to be successful. That's what I think they were going for. 
or to be helpful or to, be or helpful. to save yeah, someone exactly. or to just do the job. Like you don't have to. And I just, yeah. And, and we think it brings up an interesting sort of, you know, discussion in terms of, in terms of the disability representation that this show has historically given us and where it can go. And I just want to like shout out to one of our other writers and also uh, our, our main social media person, Lore, um, for bringing this up in the first place for us to talk about. Um, Because it's something that she's very passionate about and advocates for. Um, uh, So thank you for bringing this up. And you'll get to meet her in a future episode. Yeah. Um, and it's like, I feel like now that they've done it with Lada, they can do it again. So they've opened a door here, a really nice door for them to introduce some Different de- depictions of being a hunter. Come on, Chaos Machine. We're rooting for you. Come on. You can do it. We're rooting for you. I mean, you said chaos in like this way where I thought you said, come on, Cast Machine. I'm like, what the fuck is Cast Machine? Same. <laughs> like, Same. What? Okay, well... Isn't it the same thing? <laughs> yeah, basically. My brain still melts at the free will entertainment initial thing. Right? <laughs> I think that's so embarrassing, yep. free will entertainment. I love I know, it. it. really is. <laughs> it's so funny. No, I like it, but it's so embarrassing. Like, let it go a little bit, Jensen. No, don't let go. Yeah. Don't listen to her. <laughs> that was great timing for your clock, Courtney. <laughs> That really was. I need that man, that walking supernatural encyclopedia that he is, to be as cringe as possible. I need him to match our level of obsessiveness. He's got the Winchester derangement syndrome. He is zero. Oh, yeah. I wouldn't have blinked if he called it like Destiel Production (laughs) Company. Like, I would have been like, yeah, okay. So I was cleaning my apartment uh, last weekend and I found something that I had forgotten I owned. Now we're talking about Destiel. I was like, I have to pull this out. I do literally own a clown nose. (laughs) (laughs) Just I'm ready for the for the mid-season finale. It now just lives next to my computer. Even through the pixelated webcam picture, I can just smell how that smells. Right? (laughs) That clown nose styrofoam, like. Yeah. Yeah. I, I just, I know how it, it smells like plastic. I cannot wear it for very long. Or I could just, or I could just joke and just say that you look like one of my drawings because that's how big I draw the nose. Um, while we're talking about Dean Derangement, I feel like the last kind of major point we have on our outline is actually talking about Dean's narration yeah. now that we've gotten a little bit more of it. And Dean as a narrator. Gosh, everything through his eyes is just uh, like, the parallels that are there, it's like, did they really happen or is everything just a, through a Dean filter? This is yeah. actually something I want to do in the mid-season hiatus. I want to go through the episodes and look through all of the lens flares and mm-hmm. mark down which scenes they're all There's in. There's so many. Because, yeah, because now we're getting more more Dean narration. We're getting like two of them. And I don't know if he's going to be in the mid-season finale. I don't know if they're going to wait until the finale to show him again. But again, like every I get so wrapped up in the episodes that I forget for a second that I'm mm-hmm. being told this. I'm not seeing it without a narrator. And I forget that for a little bit. Yeah. My other favorite freshman show of 2022 is the interview with the vampire adaptation that's happening on AMC. And I have been, it's 
a wonderful, fascinating, interesting show. It's it's so incredible, I think, how it is built on the source material and totally recontextualized it for the better while staying true to everything that has had people in love with the Vampire Chronicles for literally decades. But I just think it's so interesting that my two favorite shows are both ones that really intensely play with narration and how it is impossible to tell a story objectively. You are always going to be it's always going to be shaded by how you experience something. Mm-hmm. I'm saying you as like the narrator. And even though these two shows are so different in so many ways, in every way, except for both of them have vampires, really, that it's not that the narrator is intentionally trying to mislead their audience. It's that they're they're trying to protect themselves or protect people they care about. Louis with Claudia, Dean with his family. And so, wait, have, has anyone else on this call watched Interview with the Vampire? I've only seen the first episode and I plan on watching the rest, so... It was going to be my mid-season... No watch. spoilers, please. <laughs> we won't go in... Okay, then I will leave this as a no-context spoiler. I am waiting for that Dean, was it raining moment of Ooh, just okay. this. How much can we trust you? Yeah, and that's that's it. Like, I don't... Because we don't know why we're being told this every time I remember that we don't know why this is in existence it's like a punch to the face but like in a fun way I guess I don't know if that is (laughs) fun for anyone it probably is but like but like you said it's like I get so wrapped up in it that I forget that it's being narrated and Mm -hmm. I don't know if I can trust him because exactly you know, it's just sort of like in even watching the main show, whenever he would recount a story or something from his past, we literally have a whole episode where he it's it's obviously shown that he lied to Sam the entire time where he was for like five months and because he was at a boy's home versus rewriting his own memories. Yeah. So it's like and and he's writing this all down so far as we know, because he had a journal in his hand. Yeah. So it's like and and where we left off with season 15 writing like physically writing something into a book is quite significant so yeah i'm just maybe dean really has become death maybe i've seen that theory and i like it and then i remember i still want him in his little little cottage farmhouse (laughs) well he can temporarily become death true i don't think he's done it it before So, so yeah he didn't he didn't seem to enjoy it. Maybe it is a situation where death is actually going to reap God. <laughs> he just goes like, hey, Billy, can I borrow your powers for a quick second? I just want to like, you know, go take care of something. And he just like fucking wants to just make sure the job is done and just goes tracks down Chuck and is like, square up, motherfucker. I'm not going to kill you. <laughs> After some significant apologies to Billy. Yeah. It's like, like I'll give it back. I'll, I'll, like, sorry. Yeah. We're all... I'm talking from the perspective of Chuck one. So sorry in advance, but like, (laughs) it's like, it's like, sorry, sorry. We were all duped, but you're still trapped in here and I'm not. So I'm just going to go see Chuck. I'm not going to kill him. I'm just going to put him here and you guys can have fun with him. He's he's bringing him as like a gift to his boyfriend. Like you can reap God now because if anybody deserves to, it's you. True. But then, like, I keep thinking of that line about how that's not who he is in terms of, like, killing his enemy. And so I'm, like, conflicted. Yeah. To get what I mean. Narratively. But I like it. Sorry, Jen. Oh, say, I like all the fan art of Gina's death because it's yeah, pretty Yeah, it's hot, pretty banger. <laughs> I personally, narratively, am very much still on Team Billy getting to reap God 
I think she 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 deserves it because I she I'm on team Billy got played. <laughs> yeah, it's one of those things actually that I was thinking about today, just in terms of like, was it today or yesterday? It was something in the Discord that we were talking about in terms of like, you know, sometimes a lot of the stuff that fandom wants because of catharsis isn't actually like the what would be most narratively satisfying for a character. And one of those yes. things is like, you know, Dean, you know, oh, Dean deserved to kill God. Like, why didn't he get to kill God? I'm like, well, no, because the point of Dean's arc is that he has to know that he's more than just a weapon, you know, yeah. and he learns that. And so he doesn't kill Chuck. And that narratively is far more satisfying to me than him getting to kill Chuck, even if it would. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And in my opinion. Yeah. Even with Chuck one, and if a continuation happens, my goal for Dean is not for him to kill God. It is to save people, and someone else can go take care of Chuck. Yeah, um, it shouldn't be his responsibility anymore. And there's plenty mm-hmm. of people who deserve to take care of Chuck. But um, I, I'm on team Billy got played. So I, <laughs> yeah, I. That's always been one of my problems. Every time someone would come up with a take, put it on Tumblr, and their friends would go, "You should write for the show," and I'm like, "No, they shouldn't." Like that's a cute idea, but no, they shouldn't because that's fine. Just that's in fandom. Like, <laughs> yeah, I'm like. That's a great fic idea, but that's not like a TV show idea. <laughs> and write the fic, I will read it. Absolutely. But there's something that Yeah. In like in like Dina's death, I liked in like up season 11, but I think after season 15 now I'm just like, can you just go like have some chickens and re, re- <laughs> renovate a barn on a on a farmhouse property yeah. and make it like a little garage for his vintage cars? <laughs> Yeah, the ideal ending for Dean is one where he doesn't have the responsibility. Whatever the responsibility is. No responsibility, no puppet strings, no nothing. He can just do whatever the fuck he wants. Yes. That's all I want. I think Dean getting to meet Tracy would have been so valuable at any point in his life. We can see how important it is to Mary to have had this woman in her life the entire time and to be able to have have someone who she can talk to about leaving Mm -hmm. hunting and what that means emotionally and like literally it's what do you do with your life after yeah. that that's why i'm thinking that's why i'm wondering i mean they're probably not going to do it but if they could if they wanted to dean can meet these people in heaven assuming they went to heaven which i'm assuming they did yeah so it's like really in in episode 13 Ooh. i wonder if he's going to meet anyone you know tracy can be up in heaven carl's can be up there Alatica can be up there yeah so real quick we didn't talk about Tracy calling Mary Cricket, and I don't really have any thoughts about that, but I do remember somebody in the server saying something about Cricket meaning, or like a Krita meeting Cricket in one language or something. Um, it means Cricket, and it means, uh, I think it means Cricket in Greek? Sans? No, it was in, in Greek, it's Locust. Okay. In Greek, it's locust, which is still interesting because, like, you know, an insect. The cricket is a very specific nickname to give somebody, and I feel like there's still a connection there between cricket and locust. But then I think it means cricket in a different language. It means something in Sanskrit too. I can't remember if Sanskrit is the language it means cricket in, or if it means something else in Sanskrit. See, it's almost Christmas time, so that's all what's going through my head is that little printer that I want really bad that's called a printer. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I saw one in a Michaels the other day, and I was looking with great admiration. (laughs) My mom said I have to come up with a business plan if I wanted one to print my stickers. I'm like, what the fuck? 
what are you talking about? Business plan. Do I look like I have those brain cells? No. But anyway, I don't know. I, I missed that because I've been kind of like offline for the last two days. But um, I thought it was cute. I was also weirdly, I think because I've just been watching like a lot of Disney YouTube videos, like Defunct Land and stuff. When she, whenever I heard Cricket, I kept thinking of Cricky from Mulan, the good luck charm that didn't want to be a good luck charm. And was just like, like, I'm just here, man. I don't know what's going on, which isn't obviously meta significant at all. But yeah, that was an interesting thing to think about when, when I saw whoever it was point that out. I was like, ooh, yeah. fascinating. Fascinating. It was a pretty targeted, like, it's like a specific nickname. Yeah, it's not, like, it is a nickname, but it's not a super common one, even in the South, I don't think, so. No, and they never There's, like, there's a little story there about Mary when she was little. This is a woman who's been in Mary's life for years. It's like, oh, that's, that's a kind of nickname you get when you have history. Yeah, Yeah. what's the, what's, what is the reason? (laughs) For me, I just thought it was cute. (laughs) Who cares about why Dean's telling us all this? Who cares about the whole everything about the show? I just need to know why the fuck Mary was called Cricket as a child. Like, just tell me that. That's the real mystery. I need to know why she didn't know where the second phone was in her house when it was ringing. She seems so confused by that. Right? Like, girl, do you not live in your house? Do you not? I thought that was funny. It's Like, it didn't mean anything, but it's yeah. just funny. I just liked it being called the bat phone because, yeah. like... Also from Carlos... Also very Dean comment. Anyway. Exactly. Like fucking what? But also I want to believe that Carlos secretly really, really, really loved the Adam West Batman series. Oh, I don't even think that would have to be a secret. I think he'd just be like, yeah, I love that Batman series. (laughs) I just, well, no, for real. Like, like, I just, I want him to, and I'm projecting because I love that series. It's one of my favorite Batman properties ever of all time. Do we have any last thoughts on this episode, either uh, last minute revelations or just you're like, hey, I really like this moment and we should talk about it. Harlequin romance novels. Another quoted thing. Oh, oh yeah. Great moment. I Googled that. I didn't really know what they were. Just trashy smut. Yeah. Like the books that you buy in the grocery store. Very dramatic covers. Well, so I, the first thing I did was Google them to see if they were like lesbian romance novels and I didn't see any. my 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 final thought is if anyone from the show listens to this by the grace of god can you please pass on the message to robbie to hire the writer for this episode permanently yes that thank you yeah last message is that and then also disabled characters and supernatural please yes that too yeah please it is not just about your your physical abilities and your physical strength to be beneficial or happy or a person in the world. Yep. Exactly. Yep. Yes. Exactly. And you can still be useful to not useful. I don't like that word. You can still be impactful for your friends. You can still help. You can still be a person and not be what everyone thinks this type of person should be. This type of person being a hunter. Yeah. Um, diversify more representation you guys got it um so i think that's our episode we've been talking for a long time it was a good episode thank you so much for joining us courtney um i'm happy i got to hear your cuckoo clock in real time (laughs) (laughs) i'll have to send you guys a video because it please do amazing yeah and thanks for the john john is ben's (laughs) baby daddy i won't stop until everybody knows it (laughs) all right so it has been me rachel 
has been Jen and Courtney <gasps> and then MR producer today. Shout out to Lydia, who's been very busy these last couple weeks traveling to visit family and friends for the holidays. And also because um, she is, in fact, having a baby with her husband. Not now, next year, but she is pregnant. So send her congratulations. Um, but yeah. So yeah, thank you for listening. Don't forget to rate, review, especially review. That would be nice. Uh, and subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Also remember that since the future of Twitter is still very up in the air, <laughs> subscribing to us on any of those platforms will be the best way to keep up with our episodes. And then you can also keep in touch with us on Tumblr and Instagram. Um, until next time. Bye. <laughs>